<laughs> All right. Welcome to another episode of Design on Purpose. Hello, Sumo. Hello, Amy Lou. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. You're actually the first person to be on the show or that we've podcasted with before or you're back on the show. Mm. So you're the second time you're appearing, which a lot has happened since the yeah. last time you're on the pod, which was at the very beginning of COVID. <laughs> I didn't even remember when that was anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's a trip. It's Years a trip. Ago. But we, uh, yeah. we, we, well, Rix and I were like in the original Lobster Shack, bunkered down in there, and uh, we're like, shit, let's make a podcast. And uh, and we we did a, an episode like um, by Zoom, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. So it was like the, one of the first ones. It was one of the first ones. I don't know if it's still available. I think we Do took we them. I think we took them all down. Okay. Well, anyway, this one's. I think gonna... I was pregnant with Solomon. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Well, there's definitely been a lot of transformation from, well, I guess in all of our lives, but particularly yeah. yours <laughs> yeah. since then. We keep saying we're like, oh my gosh, look at Amy Lou now. She's like, looks like there's something that's happened in the last little while. Yeah, you look so while. different. I don't know what it is, yeah. but you actually look. Different. You do. Uh, my hair is really long. No, no, it's but not the hair. It's the it's something in your face. Have you have people told you children. that? Three children, mother of three. Face changes when you have kids, but like fully. Does it actually? Yeah, yeah. My face has changed so much since I've had kids. My nose has changed. My ears have gotten bigger. Gotten older. <laughs> No, but it's significant. I don't know if it's that though. I think it's not the age, but it's like, yeah, there's something. There's like a shift there. But, I, you know, I, I think like changing in the sense that like when you have a baby, you just go through a rite of passage and it changes the way you live your life and it mm. changes the way you express yourself in the world, especially if you have a really empowering experience. Yeah, it's psychedelic. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So. I had one of those. <laughs> <laughs> that was trippy, oh, actually, was really wasn't good. it? Because yeah. uh, it was quite unique, wasn't it, the birth with Solomon? Because he came out. Encol. Encol, which is, can Lo you describe that? Is it that? lotus so, birth? Is, is that what it was? No. no, we did that as well, though. But Encol is when the baby is born completely in their amniotic sac. So they say that it happens to one in 80,000 babies, but I actually don't believe that that's true because I attend a lot of. Um, free births at home, undisturbed mm. births, and probably like one in five of those babies is born in call. So I think that in the system it's very rare because of all of the interventions that happen and, you know, just fear and, you know, the body just not being able to do its thing. But, yeah, I see a lot more at home. So wow. it's cool though, just like holding a baby and it's But what, what's it sack. like in, in there, the baby? Is it is it still in a... Like relaxed state or does it know that it's it does, well because Solomon was born into water so it's like a really gentle mm. entrance into the world and they don't really know that they've been born until they take their first breath so he was in there and he was in his sack and it was really cool just like holding wow. him and it's the sack was really thick so it took a, a second to break it and get it off him and then yeah him up to my what chest. It's really cool. <laughs> it was pretty funny when he was coming out. I touched his head and I couldn't feel his face, and I had this thought: I'm like, he has no face. <laughs> it was just like a, a marble like shape, just squishy, like a, like, a, like a polished sphere shape that had just come out of my body. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like, where's his face? <laughs> and then he came out. I'm like, oh, he's 
He's beautiful. He's got a face. <laughs> He's now, got a that's face. For sure. He's so cute. <laughs> yeah, um, but we did a lotus birth after that as well, which is when you um, allow the baby and the placenta to separate on their own terms. So, for some people, it takes like three days, and some people it takes up to nine days, and you basically just leave the baby attached to their placenta until the cord dries and it pops off. Well, and that's process. it. There's no other like. Messing with like it. messing with whatever is remain like no are we it, he, Solomon's popped off like halfway I guess so there was about that much left over so we burnt it and made it a bit smaller but yeah wow yeah it's amazing that's and probably one of the like apart from giving birth that's one of the most like I don't know profound experiences of my life to experience a lotus birth. Wow. Yeah. And what's yeah. the what's the benefit of, of doing it that way? So in my opinion, um, the placenta is a being. It's like the, the baby's twin being and they've grown together and exchanged information in the womb for like 10 months and, you know, they're, they're so connected. And when they're born, they're still having an energetic mm. exchange. And the when you when you have a lotus birth, you can feel it. Like even with me and with Solomon and with his placenta, there was this like energetic exchange happening for I think it was five days. It was like I wasn't here, he wasn't quite here, the placenta was there and there was this this whole wow. story happening which I can't, wow. there's no language for. <laughs> and, um, yeah, when the placenta popped off, Solomon shared that moment with us, which was really beautiful. And as soon as it um, it got just really dry and brittle and broke, his eyes just like popped open and he was here. And then I was here as well. Like I just suddenly <laughs> landed and I, hadn't, I didn't experience that with my other babies. So wow. It was amazing. <laughs> That's so interesting. I've never thought like I, I don't think about this stuff too much apart <laughs> yeah. from when you're, you're sharing it, which has been so like, you know, <laughs> just shift my my whole perception on so many things around birth and parenting mm. and everything but like so like the placenta is like it's like a creation of both of you it almost isn't it it's, it's like a this being. being in itself yeah. that's like like another part of the and it would yeah. have like i don't know what a placenta is made of exactly but it would probably be like yeah have some consciousness it has to full it, right? consciousness yeah. and the baby and the placenta share an aura as well so when we look at like industrialized birth practices and medicalized birth practices where they cut the cord straight away even even you know they say leave it for three minutes but that's bullshit you should leave it for as for hours so short, at, like minimum a few hours um you're cutting a hole in the aura of the baby and the placenta's like aura and that can cause you know all kinds of ramifications for the baby because that means they're using their vitality to repair that hole in their aura when they should be using it for like digestion and breathing and like functions that are necessary for them to like land on earth and build strong foundations for their health. Yeah. yeah. And what difference do you notice like in Solomon having done that with him and, um, and your other kids? So, yeah, I love talking about this. <laughs> with um, <laughs> Go with, for it. <laughs> with Sylvester, my first baby, I um, – I think we cut the cord about an hour after he was born and put the placenta in the freezer. I didn't really look at it, but it was still in the house. 
And I think a few days later I got it out of the freezer and made some prints with it and made a tincture with it and I, I got to experience just holding it and being with it and I was had Sylvester strapped to me and it was a really intuitive, natural, beautiful experience to have. And I, f- I didn't really think about the connection between Sylvester and the placenta at that time but on reflection now that I know what I know, mm. um, I think that it was just a really good experience for him landing here on earth. But we, um, yeah, we kept his placenta in the freezer for like three years because we were living in a warehouse and <laughs> didn't know, living in another share house and didn't know where we wanted to plant it. And it eventually we were at our place in the Blue Mountains and we came back from holidays in the freezer had broken and the placenta had gone off. <laughs> so we ended up planting it in a pot plant and I noticed that when I planted it, Sylvester landed a little bit in this way that I hadn't noticed before. So it was kind of like a light bulb moment. I was mm. like, oh, I, yep, that was silly, keeping his placenta in the freezer, like that needed to be in the earth, mm. belongs to the earth. And then with Essie, um, you know, everyone was getting their placentas encapsulated. So I was like, oh, just get it encapsulated. And um, it got taken away by my midwife, like I consented to that. But that first night she was really unsettled and I just didn't know why because she had such a beautiful birth. And upon reflection now after having all of these experiences, I I know that it's because her placenta was taken away and I still feel that grief in her a little bit. When I think about mm. that, yeah. <laughs> but when, when we planted Solomon's placenta, I, I didn't end up eating the capsules because it didn't feel right. So I had just had them and I emptied them all and popped them in the ground next to Solomon's and then popped some of Sylvester's tincture in the ground. So they're all together in the same place under this ghost gum That's tree. That's so cute. And, um, yeah, she, I noticed that doing that ceremony with her was really healing for her to pop her placenta into the earth. So, yeah, I've come to this space now where I believe that the placenta, it doesn't belong to us. It's not for consumption. Unless it's an emergency, then it can be useful. But um, it belongs to the baby and it belongs to the earth. And most cultures in the world bury it. It doesn't get the frequency of the placenta doesn't get tainted by putting it in a freezer or a plastic container like it's always held with reverence in ceremony whether it's like a lotus birth or not a lotus birth there's always some ceremony around the placenta because it's a being and it's sacred and it's it's where we come from like it's mm. our first it's like creation sibling isn't it? Yeah. or home what happens to a placenta in the hospital what are they what's the practice there generally the cords cut pretty quickly you might be lucky and get three minutes um you know unless you're unless you're educated and ask for it to be like delayed cord clamping i've had clients in the hospital that have had a full lotus birth Mm -hmm. um much to the like you know staff usually turn their nose up at that kind of thing sometimes they don't though um, but generally, um, it's medical waste, so it gets tossed in the bin and incinerated. Or they they steal um, blood from the cord for research. Is that like? Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay, that's... Who knows what happens? To oh it. God, I don't even want to know. It's that's horrifying. Like, yeah. Yeah. 
But the blood's like, you know, stem cell research and the blood in the placenta, like in the cord, belongs to the baby and it's like so rich in iron and nutrients and like, mm. um, you know, it's so much blood in there and it's oxygenated as well so it helps them land when they're born. And we see in hospital like, you know, babies just gone through the birth canal. Sometimes it takes them a, a minute or two to land and breathe and realise that they're here but in the hospital, it's like if they're not crying straight away, they'll get taken away. Their cord will get cut. That oxygen supply is just like cut. Wow. And yeah, all this interven- unnecessary intervention happens to like get them breathing. When if they were just left with their mother or their birthing parent and given skin to skin, they would likely just start breathing in their own time. Why do you think they yeah. do that? Do you think it's time? Do you think it's... Yeah. Like what, what's behind that? There's so many layers to that. It's like business. You know, the hospital is a business. Birth is big business. So they want to churn people through that space as quickly as possible. It's all funded by Big Pharma. There's, um, you know, policies that they have to adhere to because if something goes wrong, they can get sued. And none of those policies are um, centre the woman's experience at all Mm. or birth as a sacred rite of passage so you know I think if you most hospitals you're given like eight to twelve hours to have your baby from the time you show up to the hospital that's fucking ridiculous like there's no linear time in that realm it's like yeah looked at I'm, I'm having that weird like flashbacks almost. I don't know what my birth was like but I'm just kind of like picturing being birthed in a hospital which I was but it's like and just the experience of what it would be like to be coming out and all the it's noises and the fluoro lights and traumatizing the whole situation. And, but it's like, it's like a medical emergency kind of feeling, isn't it? Like created there, not a birth. Yeah. It's like a procedure that's like. Procedure is the a medical procedure, exactly. isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's not, but. But that's how it's treated. How it's treated. That's yeah. exactly the, how the it's framework treated. framework that they look at it. Yeah, and just even like the position that most women give birth in in a hospital is so the medical practitioners that are there have a better view and can get the baby out in a way that's like easier for them. Yeah, there's – and it's a procedure for sure. There's no warmth. There's no no space for the woman to, you know, just melt into her power. It's impossible. Like it does happen sometimes for sure, but you have to fight for it and you need to have care providers that understand that birth is a sacred rite of passage and help help create an environment for that to happen, but it's pretty rare. You do hear like a lot of traumatic stories, don't you, like whether it's from the mothers in their experience but then also how that manifests in children, like in Adults that have grown up having had a traumatic birth experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Birth imprint. Yeah. Is birth it imprint. oh yeah. is that what you call it? Yeah, Olympic imprint or birth imprint is, you know, the when we're born, we're just we're born with, you know, our nervous system is clear, it's free, it's open. And from the moment that we're born, whatever is happening in that space, whatever energy is present, whoever's there. Um, imprints upon us and often it's under traumatic circumstances or on drugs or yeah mishandled or not cared for or yeah just completely 
not even seen as a being or a sentient being. You know, there's a procedures that they do to babies where they put a screw in their head to like monitor their heart and pull them out with a vacuum with a suction cap on their head and yeah, just all kinds of horrible, violent and. Are the mothers procedures? Are the, are the mothers told about these procedures, or like how are these procedures presented to somebody, whether before they happen, or you know, do they ask permission? And do people yeah. even know what they mean when they are asked permission? I would, say, I think it'd be safe to say that no. <laughs> like most of the time, um, these types of interventions aren't explained in a way where the person giving birth can give informed consent. Uh, which is horrifying because, you know, for example, the screw in the head, they, they refer to it as a clip and it's a fetal scalp electrode. Wow. It, does, I actually it had, doesn't sound too bad. Yeah, well, they say we're just going to put a little clip on baby's head to monitor it. It's actually a, a screw, like a spring screw. I had one put into my head when I was born and most people do, especially if, um, you know, the mother's had an epidural or had mm. drugs, you know, because the... Babies get distressed, obviously, because it's the hormone flow is being disrupted, and so they, the care providers will say, "Oh, just put a little clip in baby's head." If they said, "We're just going to put this fetal scalp electrode screw into your baby's head," I'm pretty sure the response from the parents would be different. You know, mm. yeah. But and, and um, also, what a kind of way to have to make decisions like that when you're in labour. Yeah, it shouldn't have to. It should never be like that. Yeah, and, so and ha- wrong. How, how do people prefer, like, if someone is going to give birth in a hospital, like, how do they prepare themselves going into that? Or you just say, is is your, you just don't, don't go there. I just say don't go there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, like, some people have to, I suppose, because of circumstances or you know, it's not always safe for people to give birth at home. They don't always have the means to give birth at home. Um, but if you can, stay away from the hospital. If you have to go to hospital, just make sure you have, like, a support team that's, like, really knows their shit, that's really on your side, that's not going to, you know, cave in to the pressure that the system will put on you because they will, you know, even Mm. if they say they won't, you know, a lot of midwives are like, oh, you know, we really want you to have this beautiful water birth. But when it comes to it, you know, they're under hospital policy. They have to adhere to, you know, APRA, which is the governing medical body, Mm. hospital policy, everything. And so anything that forces them to, um, you know, goes against that, makes more paperwork for them, makes their job more difficult. It puts, you know, according to their policy, puts the baby at risk, which it probably doesn't, but yeah. Yeah. So I don't know, just like. So you have to be so on your game with this stuff. Yeah, get a doula. Because <laughs> yeah. I don't know the statistics at all, but um, like from your perspective, how often would somebody giving birth need serious men- medical intervention that a hospital would have to provide? Well, the statistics are t- like they're, uh, they're terrible. I don't even look at the statistics anymore because it's just, it's just so bad. If a person, you know, if women were birthed undisturbed, I would say that, you know, 
the need for intervention would be like maybe 5% of births. That's just a guess. It mm-hmm. would be really low. Yeah. Yeah, it would be really low. There's really no need for intervention most of the time if birth is left undisturbed. Yeah. Well, I, can, I, can, I can't even imagine the, the courage it would take to do a home, have a home birth, give birth at home. Yeah, like that's gosh, such a even just huge birth in, in general. <laughs> well, yeah. And then like to yeah. really take the leap and to, you know, when you've been told that it's got to be this way through everything. It's a risk if you don't, you know. Well, Everyone's probably around you like pressuring you going, oh, are you sure about this? Yeah, you know? people are afraid. Yeah, it's really <laughs> triggering for people. But it's, it's triggering their own birth trauma most of the time. And a lot of their fears don't even belong to them. You know, it's conditioning from movies. You see in movies we grow up with women in pain giving birth on their back in a white robe with, like, men around them, like, you know, pretending to be experts of their bodies. And so all that conditioning just, like, filters through and it's, yeah, it's definitely something that a lot of people who choose to give birth outside the system come up against. In, yeah. And how does that, like, in the work that you do with, with dueling, is that what you you say that you're a doula because so you're a bit of a, a gatekeeper, aren't you? Or I, I say, like, birth keeper sometimes. I've kind of been playing with birth guide lately. <laughs> I don't know. I don't say doula anymore. Birth keeper, yeah. And so what's yeah. that like in, in that partnership in working with a new mother and, and how they – you know, how, how do you guys work together to prepare and and then go through the birthing gateway together? Um, so for, for me and my work where I'm at now, it's really beautiful because all of my clients birth outside the hospital system, um, mostly free birth without a midwife as well, wow. which is, it's amazing because of all of these people who I'm working with have, have done the work to get to the point where that's what they want to do. So a lot of it is just really getting to know them, you know, forming a really deep connection through just like hanging out, having lots of cups of tea, having heaps of yarns and just sharing really deeply with each other. So when I am in their space, in their, you know, it's such an honour to be invited into someone's birth space, um, I'm usually just there as a witness. I don't really do much most of the time. I'm usually reading my book or drinking cups of tea and <laughs> might blow up the birth pool or fill it up. And sometimes I'm like a bit more hands-on, but usually the partner is really on board in the in you know those types of births. Um, the partner's usually pretty um, present um, with the woman, which is beautiful. So I'm just there as like a witness. I take photos, and it's beautiful. Like it's it just happens. That's that's yeah. at the point of birth. But what about the the lead up or during the pregnancy? Just, yeah, lots of cups of tea. and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a great job. Oh, yeah. yourself, <laughs> there, I'm not, I'm not a medical, medically trained person, so I don't offer any medical advice or anything like that. I'm just there as an emotional support. So, mm. you know, for some people that means helping them discover um, their personal boundaries with family and assert their personal boundaries with family, especially if family don't agree with their choice. Um, for some people it's helping them move through fear, helping them process, but previous birth trauma, debriefing um, previous birth trauma is a, quite quite a common one because pe- a lot of people choose to free birth after they've had a traumatic first birth in the system or with a midwife. Um, yeah, I don't know. It looks different for everyone. 
It's wow. like so different for everyone. It's like a full journey. It's a and doesn't uh, doesn't Essie help you a bit? Yeah, oh, Essie and Sylvester aren't say. they like mad? <laughs> have have they witnessed now? many births now? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Essie, guys, Essie's been to a few. Sylvester's been only been to his Essie and Solomon's. I would not okay. take. Oh, sorry, no, I, le- okay. I started leaning over that way. Um, I wouldn't take Solomon to a birth. He's turbo. Really, he's not allowed. <laughs> <laughs> But Essie was chill. Like, it just took her, um, you know, wore in a little, you know what I mean, just yeah, wore it on my body. And yeah. <laughs> but Sylvester wears like a backpacker. cape and shit like that, doesn't that, he? Yeah, at Solomon's birth he dressed up as super midwife and he had, <laughs> 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 he had this like Flash Gordon muscle man shirt no on way. and a cowboy hat and a so cape good. and he came out he's like, I'm super midwife. <laughs> but it was, it was so cool. He was my midwife. <laughs> he knew everything though. Like this little, with some women, um, this dark line appears above like their butt crack. And when it gets to about 10 centimetres, it usually means that they're dilated about 10 centimetres or so or babies close. And he, like he knew that. He was looking at my butt. And he's like, oh, mum's got that line. The baby must be close. Wow. He's like six years old. What's that like, including the, the kids in the process? The best. It's, yeah, it's so It would awesome. change your life so much, knowing, like yeah. having that experience as a young yeah. child. Like, I, oh. It's just so normal. Like I couldn't imagine not having them there, you know, hearing them playing. It was just a normal day. Like I woke up and had a baby. And then had lunch <laughs> and my kids were there. <laughs> and super midwife was there. Yeah, and they were so chill. They, they were playing the whole time. And my friend my friend came over because it was daytime and Essie just wanted food and Jeff and I wanted Jeff. So my friend came over to help with Essie. But, yeah, it's just so normal. And there's, you know, a lot of people like, oh, what are you going to do with your kids? You know, what if they get scared? I'm like, what are they going to be scared of? Like the room is full of oxytocin. Like we're going to be high. Like I want them to share this high, you know. Yeah, and they're like playing music and stuff and just eating and playing dinosaurs on the floor. What What about bonding as, simpl- as siblings? Like do you think that that impacts in a way? Because I imagine mm. like if you were there for oh, your yeah. sibling's birth, that's next yeah, level. Yeah, I remember you sharing photos, I think, of Sylvester and was it Essie or something and like at the time and you're just like, oh, that is so it's special. It's so precious. When Essie was born, Sylvester's like, oh, my God, it's her birthday. Everyone has to sing her happy birthday oh, yeah. and everyone just started singing That's happy so birthday cool. like two minutes after she was born. <laughs> <laughs> we recorded it. It's really beautiful. And then so when Solomon was born, we did that again because it became tradition. It's a good I guess. tradition. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's so normal and it, I definitely think that it helps, you know, especially when they're really little and they don't really understand, like, you know, babies in there and then suddenly babies here, like, they wouldn't understand how baby gets from there to there. Mm. So, um, And al- yeah. also, like, I'd imagine it would give them a sense of their purpose with as a sibling being a part of that process where yeah. they've seen themselves in the like, you know, they've helped facilitate that there rather than it just kind of getting told, oh, now you've got a little baby sister or something. Like being – like that totally. would just yeah. shift your whole 
perception yeah. of what it's like to be in like and I would imagine it would eliminate a lot of like the older sibling trauma and things like that that could mm. happen too and you know because they're seeing themselves in the process rather than it just happening and yeah it totally I totally believe that I've seen so many siblings at birth and it's always been so natural and so beautiful and so normal and like to the point where a lot of siblings just get bored and like <laughs> we'll go and watch Netflix or something and they're just like, mum's taking so long, this is so boring, just call me when the baby's coming. <laughs> not, not Sylvester. No, he was in it the whole time. <laughs> yeah, he's my little midwife. Super midwife. <laughs> Super midwife. And, um, oh, you know, when a baby's born, everyone who's present in that space gets a rush of oxytocin, which is, you know, the bonding hormone. So it's it's, it's so beautiful to like witness that in the sibling, your younger other children and yeah and what about Jeff because he's quite like he, he plays a big role in that too obviously I mean the partner always does but yeah um how's Jeff in that because I, I know like in this last um birth he had with Solomon he had it all set up with like cam he had <laughs> so cam, many cameras he had like the music going there's a bit of a vibe happening yeah. we had like an above view camera over the pool <laughs> It was so classic. Yeah, classic Jeff. Yeah, he's great. He's awesome. He's never. He'd be a pro now, wouldn't he? Yeah, four kids. <laughs> he um. Yeah, he's just so trusts birth and trusts women, trusts our bodies to birth. It's never been an issue. He's just awesome, just present, totally present yeah. the whole time. Yeah, and so just cool. like cries so much, and he's just so full of love and joy. It's beautiful. Yeah. And it's amazing, you know, like in the hospital, when I've attended hospital births, the partner, the man generally kind of gets pushed aside and, you know, all these other people just come in and take over or interrupt the space, interrupt the flow. And it's really sad because, you know, the the man, they're not physically giving birth, but they're going through an initiation as well and sacred rite of passage. And it's um it's really important that they're present with their partner and present in that whole experience in whatever way they need to be. And I, I just see that that's either they're pushed aside or they haven't had any guidance from other males in their life or their fathers or their, you know, mm. brothers. So they don't know how to be present in that space. So a lot of work I do is also with partners if they're not feeling, if they're feeling anxious or not comfortable with, you know, how they're going to be in the birth space or sometimes, you know, bringing them back into their body when they're there if, if they're dissociating a little bit because yeah, yeah, I see that out. sometimes, not so much. <laughs> a lot of blood. Probably. Yeah, it's actually amazing for the kids to see the blood. Yeah, it's really just normalise the blood, you know, sacred blood of creation and it's mm. that's really cool. But, yeah, it's um, beautiful to witness embodied men in the birth space. And it's happening yeah. more and more, which is cool. Well, we were there. Yeah. We were um, around when uh, Felipe and Gabby had little Kate's heart. No, we weren't at the birth, but like we were, we were working with Felipe, and then he's like, "Okay, it's happening." I, I was go. at your house that night. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Remember? So even just to be around, like when you know it's happening, oh, it's even so not in the room, like it's mm -hmm. so exciting to be yeah, oh, in amazing. the cir like circle of friends when, when you know it's the moment that, that that's yeah. going on. <laughs> yeah, it's so exciting. It's really hard to sleep. Their birth was incredible. It was so beautiful. Mm. Yeah. And and what about like is there something that you do with, with the parent? Um, so 
the father like holding the the baby or there's something to do with the skin isn't there that skin to skin skin to skin yeah mm, yeah it's essential it needs to happen it's um happens very naturally at home obviously but in the hospital it's usually um interfered with and it needs to happen straight away because when the baby's born the act of bringing the baby up to the chest um completes the birth like completes the birth not doesn't complete the birth the birth's not complete until the placenta is born but it, mm. for the baby it completes the birth process I guess so they know that they've been born when they've mm. been placed onto the chest and they can hear the heart beating and then they can you know find the nipple if they're ready yeah. but yeah it's really important mm. and just to regulate their nervous system and yeah just land wow, that must be such a wild experience so cool oh <laughs> so, it doesn't get it just gets it doesn't get old ever it's amazing, each baby. Yeah, yeah. wow. How, how did you, like, I know that, you know, you've done, well, you're an artist, you're creative, uh, you know, you, uh, you used to live in the desert as well, didn't you? Isn't that where you yeah. met, met <laughs> Yeah, we met in Alice Springs. <laughs> how did yeah. you get into the birth work? Like, was that something that you already always sort of had a, a you're leaning towards on seeing yourself going or was it something – you got to it at a certain age and, and, and like why did you, yeah, like what's what's the sort of journey there? Uh, I think, you know, after I had Sylvester, I had such a great experience. Like the first thing I said after I had Sylvester was like, I just want to do that again. I can't wait to do that again. It was so amazing. And so many people in my life at that time were like, why? Like birth hurts, birth shit. Like there was so much birth trauma in my in my world around me and I realised that my experience was really rare and that something was wrong, you know. if Why aren't all women or most women feeling euphoric after they give birth? And so I guess I kind of became a bit curious. I didn't know that there was this whole home birth world out there. I just had him at home because I don't like hospitals. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't know at anything. Home, and when you say home, it was a warehouse. <laughs> yeah. With like all my housemates are outside the door and popped a bottle of champagne as soon as he was born. It was pretty cool. <laughs> and then they wrote him a letter. No saying, wonder he sings happy birthday when other people get yeah. money. It's like his birthday. And he's a Leo as well. So it was like, you know, such a Leo entrance. Um, but yeah, I think it was just a natural progression. I, I was a social worker and a youth worker and have always been kind of drawn to community care and so I just feel like you know a lot of women when they go through that rite of passage um, feel drawn to doing that work whether it's for a long period of time or a short period of time I think that naturally you know if we were living more in tune with the rhythms and the cycles of the earth more women would be doing this kind of work in their communities after they have babies because we're you know, we're supposed to be holding each other through these experiences. We're not supposed to be outsourcing to midwives. Or like when I say midwife, I mean like a medically trained midwife. But like traditionally a midwife wasn't so, you know, um, gagged by policies. So mm. I don't want to badmouth midwives. <laughs> but sometimes it sounds like I am. Um, yeah, I just think, you know, when we're living in, tune to the cycles of the earth and birthing with the cycles of the earth and doing it naturally and doing it on our terms, then it makes sense that, you know, women want to help other 
younger women go through that rite of passage in a really healthy way. So that's kind of, I feel like that's my service in this season of my life, but I don't think that it's something that I'm going to continue doing for a long time. Yeah. Because yeah. there's something in that too, isn't there, around like reclaiming your body as a woman and oh, massively you know, rec- reclaiming that power. Because like you said earlier, it's like you see all these images of women in hospitals birthing, uh, you know, on a table surrounded by men. Mm. And being, you know, telling them that they know more about their bodies. Yeah. So yeah. What so it, your baby's going to like, die. This is happening. Your your body's not working. We have to help you. We have to help get your baby out. Like it's so bad. It's really doing a lot of damage. And I think that, you know, when we, if you think about how most people are born and you look at the state of the earth and you look at the state of like how people are living their lives, you can really draw a lot on their birth imprint and how they were received into the world and how they were cared for as a newborn, you know, and how their mother was treated and how that, you know, it's probably generations of women in their families were treated during birth. You know, it's it's really traumatic. Is, yeah. is there a way to find out your birth imprint, obviously, other than speaking to your, to your mother, but, like, is there a way to... Does anyone do any work where they kind of help you kind of navigate that and and find that out or do you think it's I think it's so it's so different for everyone like yeah not everyone's mother is always open to talking about it yeah some people's mothers aren't here anymore yeah um but you know just through memories I'm sure you could go and talk to psychics or um yeah I don't know, people that can give you some more insights into that kind of thing. For me, like I had a, had a recurring dream when I was a child that I was like getting pushed through this space, this really cramped space. And I was really claustrophobic and I was really frightened. And I had this recurring dream, like my whole childhood and I didn't know what it was from. And, um, I realized as an adult that it was my birth when I started doing more inquiry into my own birth. And I was induced and mum was given an epidural, so the flow of hormones wasn't functioning at all. Mm. What is what is an epidural? An epidural is is like a um, sedative that's given into the spinal cord oh, that yeah. stops um, – it doesn't work on everyone. It works on most wow. people, stops the feeling in the body, but it completely like shuts off the flow of hormones. So – baby doesn't really know that they're being born. They're basically just being forced out yeah. of this space. I think, I think my mum had that. Most women do, yeah. unfortunately, yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, I was born, like, shit scared. I was so scared. And mum had a um, uh, syntocinin, which is the induction drug that they give you, if, um, you know, to start labour. And so that's, you know, synthetic synthetic oxytocin. Yeah, which is really you know it it doesn't encourage any type any hormonal communication in the body. So, yeah, babies are just being forced out of the womb before they're ready. I, I'm pretty on sure on drugs. I'm pretty sure that happened to me because my mum was birthing a foal. I'm pretty oh, sure this is a story. Yeah. Like, was birthing a foal and got the placenta on her hands. You told me this story, and it yeah. kicked off the labour. That's amazing. I, I'm. I'm and like yeah. I need to investigate that further, but I'm pretty sure that's that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's, and it's really interesting. Like for me, the way that that's played out in my life is that I'm really good at starting stuff. Like mum went into um, 
labor naturally with me but then she had the drugs during labor to kind of get things going because it was happening slowly but you know it was just happening as it was meant to I don't do anything fast (laughs) (laughs) um and you know I'm really good at starting things I'm really I get like a crisis of confidence at the end of a project or just before I birth a project I just I really need people to come and reassure me and I actually just want people to hold my hand and do the rest for me I vague out really easily, like if I feel overwhelmed or, um, you know, can't quite get words out, I'll just like kind of drift off. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So interesting. I'm pretty Mm. sure I was like straight out like that and that probably says a lot about me as well. That makes sense for sure. Oh, wow. Yeah, but it's not a bad thing. Like it's not a bad thing. It's just another thing to work with. mum appreciated it. Yeah. (laughs) I think she did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and what about uh, what you said there earlier that you're going to do, you know, this is kind of a phase in your life that you're you're going through this and, and helping other mothers to, to birth in this way but um, and you say you won't do that forever. So what what do you see yourself doing and, and where does this journey lead to? Mm, I'm not sure. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, you do a bit of work with, with death as well, don't you? Yeah, just kind of starting to do more in that realm. I haven't supported um, – I've supported people through grief and after death, but I haven't supported anyone through death and dying yet. But, yeah, just kind of starting to move more into that space. And I think mm. my parents are getting old and I'm preparing for their deaths which, you know, could happen at any time. I want to be able to be able to step into that space and feel confident Mm. to step into that space and um, care for them and care for their bodies. So that's kind of what, you know, sparked my interest in that. But, yeah, I don't know if that's like something I'll do for a job so much. Yeah, I don't know. I just want to go back to making art, I think, and then Mm. be a person in the community that can support people giving birth and dying as well. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Because <laughs> yeah. you're, you're doing mentorships and stuff at the moment, aren't you? There's yeah. programs you're running and what, is, what does that look like? Oh, it's amazing. It's, um, you know, just every week meeting with a bunch of amazing humans and just talking about everything, you know, life and death and care work and how we can show up in our communities and care for our kindreds and our family in a really beautiful authentic way that celebrates them and their lives and their experiences and celebrates sacred rites of passage and so um yeah I invite all kinds of amazing people into the mentorship to come and speak from like a lot of elders but yeah lots of really amazing people in the community like death workers and I had a beautiful woman come and share her early birth story which was like like amazing and yeah um we had a couple of death walkers come in and, yeah, some elder midwives. And wow, that's amazing. Yeah, people who were really experienced with pregnancy and using plant medicine and ways that that can prepare people for birth and that rite of passage is, yeah, really cool. Yeah. Wow. Is that a in-person thing, online, combo? It's online at the moment, but I want to do it in person. Yeah. Yeah. I just have to wean my baby. <laughs> I can't do much in person at the moment. Once once Solomon is off the boob in the next like within the next year or so, I'll be doing more in person. I think. Yep. 
It's really beautiful. I love it so much. And the the idea is that, you know, I'm facilitating it, but the idea is that we're, you know, storytelling and sharing our experiences and learning from each other. So there's no like hierarchical learning. We're just coming back to storytelling and coming back to, you know, lived experience and, you know, the old way of learning that type of craft. Because we all, we all know how to care. It's in all of us. It just takes a bit of digging for some people to activate that space of like, you know, being in service and care work and sovereign care work. And a lot of people don't even know that you can do these things outside of the system. And then when yeah. they, when they realize it's like a light bulb <laughs> goes off. And, and that, that's, you know. that'll be a big difference too, I guess. Like the more people that this becomes normal to that this is this is possible. Yeah. Then the less you're going to get those people in your ear if you you are thinking about it, kind of telling you, yeah, it's it's a scary thing, you know. Yeah. Then you start questioning it. Oh, exactly. You know, we've got to bring bringing birth and death back into the hands of the community because it's just it's it's absolutely just destroying people's experiences and people's lives and people's spirit. It's really bad and I think, um, you know, when especially death, you know, a lot of people are, are afraid of death and don't understand or don't realise that death care can be really beautiful and that you can do it in your house and that you don't have to hire anyone and, you know, there's there's so many amazing ways that you can celebrate someone and honour their body without having to go to a funeral parlour or a morgue or like a funeral home or anything like that. So, you know, and a lot of people just come up against their fear of their own fear of death when they lean into yeah. how that process could be and it's a really beautiful space to kind of work through that fear and most people come out of it realizing that their fear of death isn't theirs it's like a cultural kind of fear of death it's dying. really put on us isn't yeah. it this whole idea of dying and it's so Doesn't taboo it, yeah. and like just live, live as much as you hidden, can hidden away yeah, it really destroys your quality of life when you're scared of dying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. yeah, it can work in both ways, can't it? Like where you limit yourself so much. But it's also such a special thing and rare. Well, it's rare at the moment because of the way it is. But it's like when you're with somebody that is dying, you know, that, like that's such a special, like the perspective that they have and the things that they say is like, it's a, it's so amazing because it's mm. like then you know, you're only ever in that stage of your life once and then yeah. that's it and it's over and it's like that's such a, a, a moment. amazing moment yes yeah, mm. so where they know that they're going yeah and they have these messages and they've you know they've got something to sh to sh express yeah. still and they're lucid and they're in an altered state of consciousness and everyone in the space around them is in an altered state of consciousness and it's like the same energy as birth they're the same thing. It's just one's an entrance and one's an exit. And, yeah, I was speaking to um, this beautiful death walker who I speak to in the US and she shared with me that every single person she's worked with who has died and, like, you know, who's, who is in the process of dying just feels like love and joy and, you know, they, they move – once they've moved through all of the fears and the, the sadness and the grief, they just move into this place of, like, openness and love and joy. And she said she's never worked with anyone who has, you know, been scared of dying when they're in active dying. And I think there's something so profound in that for me when she said that. I was like, yeah, that's 
Because your body probably knows what's to do Mm. in that instance as well, like birthing. Like, yeah, yeah. You probably go through some instinctual Mm. process. Yeah. When when a baby is um, ready to be born, the last part of their body to develop is their lungs. And so when their lungs are fully developed, it sends like a message to the mother's brain to start releasing oxytocin and start the birth process. And so once the it's amazing, and that's where our biggest supply of DMT lives, <laughs> and that's what we use to take our first breath, and that's what floods our body when we're born and when we die, and it's just yeah. it's so beautiful, and I, yeah, there's so much in that, isn't there? Yeah, that's a that's a <laughs> that's a whole other a whole other a deep, conversation, deep one, but it's yeah. it's true though, isn't it? It's like the DMT that. It's a psychedelic that's in all like living. It's in everything, right? Yeah, all li- like plants and conscious yep. things. Yeah, because um, you wonder with babies, like you know, what are they actually seeing? They're tripping like, for so, so many long balls. After you you reckon? Yeah, their eyes are just like oh, the things that they yeah. say, and you're like, what are you seeing? You probably like it must be. They like, look like they know shit, or, though, don't they? Like, yeah, because there's like not, they're just like they're, whoosh, like in the. They're fully connected. They're not in the matrix yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they have that um. Yeah, totally. That soft spot on the top yeah. of their head where their, like, you know, skull hasn't fused together yet. And, you know, I, I believe that they're still, like, super connected to source when that's mm. still open and it closes around, like, one to two years old. Yeah, uh-huh. makes yeah. sense. Yeah, it's interesting to see the transition in little people once that closes. Yeah. It's like the pineal glands, like just like, like channeling mm. or instead of just like blocking it or whatever, I guess. Yeah. It's like, and everything, uh, you know, a, a little person, I think up until about three, maybe even a little bit older, um, everything that they touch and everything that they play with is an extension of their body. So they're, you know, having like such a, I don't even know what the word is, but it's <laughs> when they're, experience. yeah, it's when like they're touching anything brain. or playing with something, it's, it's, not a game it's real life you know and it's a part of their body and you see you know when you take something off a toddler they like have a tantrum it's because you're literally ripping like tearing a limb off my hand yeah. used to be lego yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally <laughs> you have to go now though <laughs> so and at what point like because women would have had births at home i'm sure yeah. like or you know well, not, probably not that too long ago, really. Up until probably like a hundred years ago, maybe even less, like seventy years ago, it was really normal. And so, what what happened there? Like, what was the point where things just got really um, hospitalized, hospitalized <laughs> medical yeah, procedure rise or whatever it just you call in, it? It just infiltrated. I think. Um, I mean, I'm not an expert in in this, but from what I know is that, um, you know, people would be in labour and at home and then they would call a midwife um, and the midwife would come over and then at some point there legally needed to be a doctor come with the midwife and then at some point the midwife needed to be trained by the doctor and then it just kind of, that system... The totalitarian tiptoe. Infiltrated (laughs) that way. And so, yeah, now we're at a point where midwives have to go to university and learn all about medicalised birth in order to get registered to practice as a midwife. But you don't have to do that. I'll start using bloody robots and shit in the future. Oh, my God. Oh, have you seen those Mm. really weird... um, uh, What are they? They're like 
incubators for me- like wombs, like oh, synthetic um, wombs. Ex- yeah. That shit yeah. freaks me out. Yeah. It's like a real thing. I can't go there. <laughs> no, let's not. But yeah. but yeah, it's keep it real. Yeah. <laughs> um, um. Yeah, it's just it just infiltrated that way. But there's like there's um. It kind of corresponds with the with the or does it like with the industrialization of everything? Right? Everything, like school, food, yeah. every, all this stuff, like medical, like yeah. just tech. Same with death care as well. Death care was in the home until about 100 or so years ago. It was really normal to have a body at home and have people, you know, tending to the body and doing. Because it's such a Western Western way, like because, you know, still in other places of the world and other cultures are still doing traditional burials and things, yeah. like, you know, like Varanasi in India where mm. they're burning, they're creating public so cremations on the, on the Ganges. You see like, death yeah. everywhere in India. Yeah. Everywhere. So everywhere. In your face, everywhere. Yeah. You see bodies being run around all over the place. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. I love it. Flowers, definitely, yeah. all the all Definitely normalises it pretty quickly yeah. for you, doesn't it? And shave them, but the whole tradition around it, like people were shaving their heads. And things. Mm-hmm. It's uh, – we, we saw this – this carload of people cruising down to the Ganga with their like dead relative strapped to the roof and they were playing Bollywood music so loud and everyone had like their drums out the window and everyone was like cheering and partying. It was Can you so imagine cool. if that happened here? Yeah. <laughs> Followed by like, you know, 20 cop cars. Yeah. It was so cool. Wow. Yeah. Is that is that part of the next uh, trip to India? For, yeah, for we're definitely sort of... going to go to go to Varanasi and check it out. I want my kids to see it. I've been there a few times. These, these kids are going to see a lot, have yeah. seen a lot by yeah. the time they're adults. Full on, yeah. Yes. I'm so excited to see what they're like. Me too. <laughs> like not sending them to school is so great. Like we can just do anything we want. Mm. Well, yeah, that's yeah. a whole other like, conversation. It's a whole other conversation. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's a trip, isn't it? Because it's like everything becomes like commercialised. Like yeah. every bit of your humanity from like – being born through schooling, like, well, you know, they're essentially programming you, mm-hmm. you know, just everything to, to going, then going to university, making sure that you're in debt by the time you leave. So then you have to get a job mm-hmm. and you're trained to work. Uh, get a job at a place that creates the school curriculum or has like stakes in designing it as well. It's like. Just as. It's a machine. It's like a. Process. Yeah, that was after I after my birth experiences. It just like became non-negotiable. Like school isn't even an option for us anymore. You've just done so many things. Like for me, and I guess I'm not at that stage of my life where I'm, you know, thinking about children or anything. But it's like seeing you do all the things you're doing Mm -hmm. gives me so much more peace of mind. That like it doesn't have to be the way that yeah. it is because there's so many things like I look back at my childhood or high school or you know, primary school and all that stuff, and it's kind of like you know it's hard to sort of get your head around it. But then when you see what you're doing and the the path mm. that you're taking your family on, you're like, it can be so much different, so like, different. And, and successfully. Like it's yeah. like you go, hey Sylvester, how's school? And he's like, you know, love yeah, like he loves, loves it. learning. Yeah, do, and teaching. Just, we're constantly de-schooling ourselves, mm. and the more we do that, the more we're like, "Oh, far out!" Like that place is like not okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's yeah. pretty full. Of, like we live near a school here, and you see, you know, 
they don't look happy kids, like, but you see when, hmm. the, when the school ends and everyone's just walking up the hill looking literally like zombies yeah in their uniform walking back on home, their phones usually on head down yeah. just kind of like this and you're like yeah that's learning yeah, should be fun have to be like that yeah and learning shouldn't you like when you're really learning something you don't realize that you're learning yeah, I could sit here and chat all night long. No, that's cool. So could we, so could we. But um, we can always do it again, you know. So we'll love to yeah, we can do well, a part two yeah. at some well, point. A part three. Homeschooling. Oh, part three, yes. Yeah. Going to schooling. <laughs> yeah. yeah, schooling, yeah. Well, that is that. That is something like I'd love to get deeper on that sometime It's too, a really it's... awesome space to, to go into because there's so much fear around homeschooling and like so many people think they can't do it because they're not teachers or they can't do it because they don't have time in their lives. But, yeah, when you – when you rethink how you live your life and weave work in with schooling, it just becomes life. Yeah. And it's it's not separate, you know. And, and you're not preparing a child to live in the world because they're already living in the world. You're just letting them lead. And, yeah, it's just really cool to flip that That's around. So cool. And the message that you're, you're sharing is, is working too because I've noticed your Instagram has been – Cranking out the followers. Yeah, people are into it. That's yeah. Yeah, that's we, awesome. we we um when we mention you in like passing or if you come yeah, up, so many people, people go, know, oh, yeah. do you oh do you know Amy Lou? We're like, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Like, so people <laughs> yeah. people people know you. Yeah. Like the message is getting out. Yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah, I think it it's just such an important one to share. Want to keep sharing it because life is so awesome when you just like do it your own way. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> In control or in yeah. you know, not, not being controlled by others. How do people connect with you or find out more about your your um, mentorship and yeah. anything that you're working on or um, offering? I don't have a website yet. <laughs> Jeff's. Come Jeff's on, Jeff. <laughs> um, just through my Instagram. At, Which is? At bushrat underscore. At bushrat underscore. And yeah, email amy at betweenworlds.com.au. My business name is Between Worlds. So that'll be my... That's a good name. You've kept the bush rat. Yeah, I almost didn't, but my name's Amy Smith, so... But you don't, you don't make it Between Smith. Worlds. You've yeah. kept the bush rat. I, was I make, like the bush rat. I was going to make it Between Worlds, but bush rat is... Is me. <laughs> That's so cool. Awesome. Well, thanks yeah. so much for coming on the pod again. My pleasure. I wish I could stay and talk. Oh, that's 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 all. Right. No time. worries. Next time. All good. It? Yeah. All good. And uh, did you want to do our wrap up? Yes. Real quick? Make sure you like and subscribe, everybody <laughs> listening, if you haven't already, um, because we're going to have more amazing guests like Amy on the show soon enough. Weekly, we try to do them. Uh, so yeah, stay tuned, share it around if you found this valuable, you know, um, and you can check it out. You can find us on Instagram at design on purpose, uh, TikTok at design on purpose. Are you on the TikTok? No, no. that's crazy. It's wild. I, <laughs> I can't go there. Yeah, it's, it's, I'll, ne- I'll just we'll see where we go. Take with me it, away from it. my children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you can follow Wordplay Studio as well, our design agency at Wordplay Studio, wordplaystudio.com, our website. And the Telegram Wordplay Studio, where we just post, we kind of aggregate and post all of our up to date content on there as like a news feed. So jump on that. Yeah. And we'll see you again next episode. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Aaron.